Welcome to The Vine, a plant media project podcast with your hosts, Elizabeth Sheldon and Gina Vensel. The Vine is an insightful look into the world of plant medicine, exploring the changing landscape around cannabis and psychedelics and ending the stigma through educational discussions. The Vine does not offer medical advice nor condone any use of illegal substances. Consult your physician or therapist before making changes to your wellness plan and before trying alternative healing medicines. Today, we welcome Daniel Goldberg, founder of Palo Santo and Bridge Investments Venture Capital Firms. Daniel has been actively investing with and supporting inspired entrepreneurs and investors for 20 years. Palo Santo's mission is to support promising medical treatments while ensuring access to safe, legal, and effective solutions. Many years ago, Daniel saw the transformational potential of psychedelic medicines and has developed a deep network of relationships across the psychedelic research and business communities. Daniel's passion in the industry is purpose-driven and science-informed. Welcome to The Vine, Daniel. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yes, Daniel. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. I'd like to start off asking you about what inspired you to become involved with the psychedelic space. Hmm. Well, um, the short answer is really psychedelics. Um, you know, there's there are a lot of uh, I know there's a, there's a cast of characters right now flooding into psychedelics. Um, certainly could be counted as one of them, but many have been, I think, coming from, I guess, what I'd call outside uh, having worked with the medicine, right? Or, and, and, and sort of, you know, having some kind of relationship uh, with the medicine. And it really was now almost, I'd say about four years ago when I was first introduced to psychedelics. I'm 49. Um, it's a real 49. It's not like a, one of these, like every year I'm, I turn 49. <laughs> uh, it's like an actual 49 next May I'll be 50 and my true crisis will start then. And I'll really need psychedelic <laughs> therapy. Uh, but I, I, I was introduced to, um, I, I was lucky. I, you know, they say the medicine finds you, I guess the medicine in a way came, came knocking, knocking on my door, um, really hard uh, about four years ago. Um, you know, I sort of, I guess, typical, you know, mid forties, midlife types of types of issues and, and sort of stuck stuckness, I guess, you know, and then I'd read Michael Pollan's book. I was introduced to Michael Pollan's book first. And it's no secret that he brought in a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of Johnny come lately's like me who had, who are psychedelically naive. Um, I was lucky to be, I, th- I think I was lucky to be psychedelically naive in a, in a way. I, I, I would have loved to have had these experiences when I was younger in a positive way. I'm not sure how positive they would have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, knowing knowing how I work with the medicine now, if I was in my you know teens or 20s, I'm not sure they would have been really positive experiences. Maybe, maybe not. But I was very, very lucky to uh, find a, a very, very experienced resource to to introduce me to a couple of the medicines um, at a time when it was it was extremely helpful. So I had a, an amazing first kind of breakthrough session, which uh, I don't think I could have done without a, without a guide uh, who had a lot of, you know, deep experience in the space. And somehow maybe 10 or 11 days after that, I was in New York for a business trip and I saw that Horizons was uh, happening on that Saturday. And I was at a different conference earlier in that week. Uh, And I I think I I called a a few people very confidentially and, you know, this was more uh, uh, psychedelics in the closet psychedelics, right? Mm -hmm. Where it was, Colin was like, Hey, by the way, um, Mm -hmm. I might go to this psychedelics conference. 
you know, I think it was probably 10 days after my first experience. So I was still had a little bit of an afterglow going on before, by the way, any extremely challenging experiences, which we'll go another time. So I was lucky to have a first really positive experience and had that afterglow, went to the conference and I just started studying and, and just absorbing as much information as possible as my little tiny brain could take in. And I got really lucky. I met, met a few people even back at that conference to this day that I I'm in touch with now, of course, with the work we're doing, we're in touch with a lot of people. And I look back and I was like, what, what did I even know back then? It was crazy. But four years ago, four years ago is a long time in psychedelics. Yes, and, it is. Um, I'm not, uh, we stand on the shoulders of those that uh, have been fighting for psychedelics for 10, 20, 30, you know, 50 years. Uh, but, but in certain ways, we're, we're, we're looked at as veterans now, I haven't been in four years. So uh, in a, in a very humble way, I say we're veterans, but it's been a long time and it's been fun. And we started Palo Santo almost a year, almost a year ago. That's great. And I love to hear that that you got inspired um, at Horizons. You know, that's uh, this coming year is the 14th annual event. So talk about veterans in this space on um, that conference was there, um, you know, long before it was a mainstream conversation. So it's really exciting and we'll be there. So hopefully uh, if you're going this year, we'll get oh, to meet yeah, in yeah, person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll be there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very I, good. I, very I good. keep forgetting it's in person. Everything's oh, yeah. It's in so person. Back, just, in, I know, I know. back on yeah. stage um, in New York City, December 1st through the fifth and i uh, got to cool. reserve your seats now because you're uh yeah no i, got, I have okay. a ticket <laughs> okay very good well then we'll, I get tickets. we'll I'm, see I'm you a, there <laughs> yeah no it's a great in fact i make a plug for horizons by the way it's it's if, if you listen your listeners probably know about it i glanced through your podcast and it sounds like you have some probably some fairly uh you know uh, educated listeners which is great but there's a lot out there on the educational front and horizons is still, I, I looked, I've been looking at their programming and what they're doing, what they're thinking about, you know, coming up. It's, it's amazing. There's a lot of, as you know, kind of, I don't know, get, get rich quick type psychedelic um, conferences happening. Uh, and, you know, we're privy to all that because we're in the for-profit space. We see that, but we still go to horizons and, and look at that as sort of the gold standard of uh, education in, uh, in the space. So super excited to, to see that. I did not, I couldn't do virtual last year. I just was so much going on. I, I didn't tune in, but I'm excited for this year in, in person. Yeah. And you know, it feels like to me that Horizons is like the TED Talks of psychedelics, like the curated, you know, thought leaders in the space that really are the educational, you know, just minds that we really want to have. So I'm really excited about this year's conference and um, really want to dive into, you said it's been a year now, the Palo Alto, but you've been doing this with, Palo with Santo, investing. Yeah. Palo Santo, which, which I don't mind. Okay. I don't mind getting mixed up with Palo Alto, certain people, yeah. know, <laughs> but it's, of course we, we take the, we take the name, we, um, we, we borrow the name, I should say from, from the, the wood that is used in, you know, ceremonially, yeah. So Palo yeah, okay. Santo, right. um, but yes. you said, so you had been doing your other investment fund and then did it mm -hmm. transfer into Palo Santo? Mm -hmm. Like how did you go from, you're already helping all these, these entrepreneurs and getting them mm -hmm. funds. And then your team made that move, you said to Palo Santo one year ago. So can you tell us a little bit more about yeah. how that got started? Um, and you know, who's on your team and tell us more about it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so yeah, like I said, about, about four years ago, having had my first experience and kind of diving in, I'd say as, as somewhat of a, um, extracurricular activity. In fact, I, I always imagined that as I got excited, enthusiastic about what I might be able to do in psychedelics, originally I, I thought, well, I'll just have to work, you know, really hard at, you know, kind of at my quote day job, um, which is, which is great. I love what we do. 
and, and then somehow support nonprofits in the psychedelic space. That's how I saw it was natural. I've been donating to MAPS and other organizations, and that was exciting. I'm not quite, um, you know, not quite as, as rich and famous as I'd like to as, uh, be famous, but to, rich enough to donate to the, the kinds of, you know, to, to make a serious impact. And we started to think, my partner, Tim Schlitt, and I, co-founder Tim Schlitt and I, who I met four years ago, the beginning of this journey, we just kept thinking how we could make a bigger impact and what we could do. Um, starting to poke around and, and get involved with some organizations and some for-profits here or there, not really ever having the time to, you know, when you, when it is your, your moonlighting and it's not your day job, you don't have that same time, right. To do that kind of research and, and you're always kind of divide up, dividing up your energies. So there was always something in the back of my head where I was thinking, wouldn't it be great to be able to do this? of course, professionally, you know, during, during the day. Now I didn't know it was going to be day and night. I didn't know that psychedelics was going to be, uh, you know, uh, 24 seven, uh, you know, the, the fast pace of psychedelics, that's a different story. But back then I, we were, we were trying to figure out ways that we could, um, you know, essentially for lack of a better word, make this our day job. And when, when COVID hit, uh, that was really the moment. Um, there, there was, you know, especially being in Chicago, I, I'm, I'm based in Chicago. My, my partners in New York and, in, in LA and we're kind of across the country now, but I'm in Chicago and it's certainly a bit of a desert in terms of psychedelic knowledge. Um, it does, I think it is sometimes intimidating, but also beneficial to be a big fish in a small pond and, and being here and getting involved in psychedelics was really kind of inspiring because when COVID hit, I found that people were very willing to talk about mental health, like overnight, right? It was not even overnight, like within those hours, it became something where like people would make a joke, oh, I'm having a mental health day or whatever. Or, oh yeah, I like, kind of like that to like, oh shit, you know, like this is serious, you know, like I, you know, people were just really open and honest. And I, I think you would see that in certain sort of cultures and populations naturally, but not, you know, if they, if they maybe are into the topic or talking about psychedelics, but I don't know, uh, around here, it was something that, you know, psychedelics wasn't on the radar. I don't think mental health was. Um, and all of a sudden people had heard about my interest in this space and they started coming to me and uh, my partner, Tim. And, and all of a sudden we found ourselves being almost, you know, it was almost like it was coming to us, just like the medicine had found us. It was this idea of Palo Santo and they'd heard what we were doing and what we were interested in. And I had a long history of being in venture capital and private equity. And I realized that this is really, if we want to go into psychedelics and put some of our resources from bridge investments and, and then bring in resources from the outside, from the science side and from the psychedelic side, that it had to be done in a venture cap, in a venture fund format. It was the most obvious thing. The more I studied the space and we'll get into it. I realized that the first step is going to be really biotech. It's going to be getting these drugs developed and making them, you know, more, you know, above ground and, and accessible. That's going to be the key. And we'll talk about legal, the legalization side of things too, and how that plays into it. But from, you know, from the space that we're really concentrating in right now, which is getting FDA drugs approved, I realized that there are you know, hundreds of companies with various compounds and some of them preclinical, some are just ideas and they need funding and they're very risky early on. But if you create a portfolio that is diversified by not only compound, but also by indication uh, and by stage of the business, we could create a real uh, investable 
venture capital fund that could also make a big impact on the mental health space. So it kind of merged. It was kind of the medicine and then COVID and then, you know, everything kind of coming to one and I'm making it sound easy, but it's been a long year and a half putting it together. I think it was literally the day COVID hit. Uh, Tim and I were like, we got to find a way to do this. And, And that's what we've been doing ever since. Can you imagine a better you? Empathic Health is a global community providing support so you can find more fun, freedom, and connection in your life. Empathic Health is my integration solution for incorporating my healing work into my daily routine. Empathic Health has given me a space to use my voice to express my thoughts and be myself in a safe place. I'm excited to get to the type of work that gives my life more clarity and joy. Helping others has done nothing but help me in return. Know your medicine, know yourself. Join Elizabeth, myself, and the rest of the community today at empathic.health. So investors are certainly taking a look at this space now um, and at the different opportunities and everything's changing. There's, you know, the regulatory landscape, cultural attitudes, Mm -hmm. research. Um, So I think in simple terms, what I'd love to know is, what makes a company worth investing in in this mm-hmm. space? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let me answer that question first by just going back for a second and answering the second half of Gina's question, which I didn't answer, which is which is who's on our team because a, oh, a lot of what please. a lot of what makes this 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 company's worth investing is is based on um, a really deep. Um, dive due diligence analysis of, of what these companies have. And it's, it's, uh, we have, we have an incredible team we've put together it, it Palo Santo. Um, but it's, it's really our, I would I give a lot of credit to our scientific advisory board, um, that we started to recruit last, I want to say last summer or fall before our official launch on January one. And it's, it's grown since then, um, worth mentioning because the, the level of, um, the the amount of diligence and uh, the way we treat the portfolio as truly at this point, primarily right now, a biotech portfolio, uh, and we'll get into kind of other technology and services that are going to grow as the ecosystem grows. But for now, it's probably 70 or 80% biotech. Uh, the science is, is incredibly important. So last summer, Summer or fall, we started. Um, we brought on our first two scientific um, advisors, uh, Charles Nichols and Julie Holland. Um, Charles is, if you know Charles, but um, his his aside from his own amazing work, his dad is David Nichols. So this kind of goes back to the um, kind of the OGs of of psychedelic science, uh, back to Sasha, Sasha Shulgin and, and beyond. Uh, but Charles is amazing. He, um, among other um, discoveries, he really is, is uh, focused on the anti-inflammatory properties of psychedelics, which is, which is very interesting because it gets us, you know, even kind of well beyond just mental health indications, right? And, and psychiatric indications. So you start to get into potentially treating, you know, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's and all kinds of, of CNS disorders, which is super cool and kind of put a pin in that. We'll hold there. Uh, Julie Holland is a practicing um, psychiatrist. If, if you know Julie, her work, um, she's, she's been very involved in MAPS, um, amazing, um, amazing psychedelic um, advocate um, and very knowledgeable on the, on the pharmacology side as well. Charles Nichols is, is also, he's, he's a, a PhD pharmacologist. So between um, Julie and, and Charles, that was sort of the base. And, and since then, 
Uh, we've added to that team. We have um, David Sherman, who's a medicinal chemist at the University of Michigan. Gretchen Tamalos, who's an IP lawyer. That's a big issue. We'll talk about that later. Mm-hmm. But, you know, the IP side of things, which is very tricky. Um, everyone, everyone's got different opinions about IP, and they're, they might all be right. They might all be wrong. But we we, we like our lawyers' opinions there. Um, and then we have John Graydon, who um, John is uh, Dr. Graydon is a uh, he's been at the University of Michigan for a long time. He founded the Depression Center. He used to be that of um, psychiatry there. He founded the Depression Center, which was the first university depression center. So I mentioned all these names. You know, there a lot of times when you're starting a business, you have a, a bunch of names and faces on, on websites, and they don't mean much. Um, we take a lot of pride in uh, the kind of uh, the, the the frequency and the types of interactions we have with our scientific advisory board, and and the kind of value they can add. At a, at it, certainly at the diligence stage. Right now is where we're at with these companies, and we're excited to see how that translates. So that's that's kind of answers the question because that's a big part of it. And in terms of really getting to it, I would say it, it it really a lot of it comes down to science, knowing, doing diligence on these compounds, understanding what these companies have, is a huge part of what we do every day. Uh, there are a lot of startups out there that you 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 see every day that really don't, they don't have a lot, um, but they have some great publicity and it's great to be in psychedelics. Right? It's very, it's easy to raise money in psychedelics right now. It's, it's, it's very strange, very strange time. Um, everyone wants to be a part of it. It really doesn't matter if your company has something or not, you're going to, you're going to be able to raise money. So that's, that's the good news for a lot of these companies. Um, it's, it's makes our job tougher and it, it makes us a lot, I think, hopefully smarter and uh, our LPs and our investors are, are very sophisticated as a result. So a lot of it is in the science, and I'd say team, of course, I know it's very trite, but team is, uh, there are a lot of uh, different different types of founders out there. I think with my background in venture capital, I'm very, very focused on execution-oriented teams. Um, there's a lot of sort of process-oriented teams, I would say, um, that can speak very eloquently about what, you know, how they're going to do what they're going to do, but they've never really done it before. So um, inspired execution oriented teams, you know, valuation is a big thing. You can have a great company, um, with great assets and it's just overvalued. So you don't have the returns there. So, um, I'd say those are the, those are the main, um, factors. Thank you for that. So all our listeners can know, like, yeah, absolutely. Money is flowing. (laughs) Maybe not. It's it's the good and bad. It's the good and bad news. No, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very tricky out there. And, uh, this is a very sophisticated, uh, business now. And there's a lot of, uh, you know, I get calls all the time. What stocks should I buy? And I I don't know. We're not in the public markets. We are in the, on the private side of things. We're investing very early, um, very often preclinical, um, you know, assets. A lot of times we're, we're talking to academics and, and, you know, in labs at universities that are, have, have, have great ideas and want to, want to make them, you know, come alive. It can be anywhere from there to later stage companies like, um, Beckley SciTech or, um, you know, or, uh, you know, um, Gilgamesh is sort of mid mid stage, I would say. You know, example, but uh, we're seeing we're seeing a lot of opportunities along the spectrum. We're getting we're getting more interested. We're getting more, uh, I would say, involved with and spending more time with what we would call thir- second and third generation psychedelics. So really, um, not what internally we call generic psychedelics, which is you know LSD mushrooms. You know, psilocybin and, and, and um, you know DMT, the the known compounds. It's going to be very important to improve upon the experience going forward. I think that's going to be a huge factor. These, these are not perfect. You know, 
these are not these are not perfect medicines. As much as we love to romanticize some of the unintended consequences, uh, I, I, I really am a strong believer in in innovation. I am a strong believer in the natural compounds as well, the natural medicines and, and how, how beautifully they were made. However, you want to believe that they were made if it was uh, God, evolution, evolution and God, whatever, however it all happened, they're incredible. Uh, but, you know, we're going to have different types of experiences. We're going to have people that want to uh, go and, and experiment with their own dosing after growing their own mushrooms one day. And hopefully that's that's legal for people to do in every state. And you're going to have people that want to go to their doctor and have no interest in psychedelics whatsoever. And they want to go to their doctor and they say, this is the world I live in. I don't care. My crazy cousin, you know, Gina and Elizabeth like to trip every once in a while. And I haven't listened to your podcast. I'm just assuming you have some experience with the medicine. And, uh, and I, by the way, I did listen to a few of your podcasts last night. I just didn't have time. But there's going to be people that want to go to their doctor and just Absolutely. get a prescription to, to, to fix their migraine or, you know, or, or deal with uh, anxiety. And, 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 and it could be very beneficial to take away some of the, the unintended consequences of, of these drugs, right? And I really um, hope that there can be both. Like you said, you know, that we can get to a point in policy where people that w- would want to grow their own, you know, would maybe be able to do that. Um, but also we know that, you know, it's important for people to be able to go to a medical professional that they trust um, to get this advice. And we were just fascinated, Elizabeth and I, about this intersection between psychedelics and technology. And um, we actually had a, mm-hmm. a biotech company on our show a couple weeks ago to dive into these possibilities of what psychedelics will be like in the future. And I wanted you to like maybe tell us a little bit more about maybe an innovative technology that you found mm. in this space or maybe a company that you're working with that you really feel has just something that is really innovative um, that you'd be willing to share. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, technology. Well, that's an interesting one. We're, we're, we're constantly getting, we've got a lot of inbound for, you know, it, it's the subject line is, you know, it's in your inbox probably, I don't know, twice a week. And it's like tech enabled, psychedelic, this and that or whatever. And it's very, they're very hard to, um, a lot of them are very hard to get your arms around, at least in terms of the addressable market today and the valuation. So there is this sort of desire for investors often to want to make investments in, you know, in cannabis, we would say non-plant touching, right? It would be mm-hmm. like, oh, this 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 is the SaaS business that's going to do all the processing for all the dispensaries. There's a real desire for that for obvious reasons. Um, we're, we've been, we've been so far um, putting a lot of time and energy, like I said, into the drug development side of things, only because we feel like that that's the first stage, like that that needs to happen first. That being said, there's, there are some really, there's some cool innovation going out there outside of the just the drugs, as we would call it. Um, I, I'm so I had this insight uh, a few weeks ago um, in the middle of the night after a, a strange dream about music, and, and it was like just absolutely like I woke up and I was like, music is like the answer. It was like so like <laughs> it was one of these moments. It was not during a, a trip or anything like that. It was woke up in the middle of the night. I was just thinking about music. I was thinking my kids play music and how much what an impact music has made. In my life, and so we're invested in, in a company called Wave Paths. You, you might have heard of it. Mendel Mendel Keelan, um, amazing, is a neuroscientist in the UK, um, and you know Wave Paths is just has a, a special place in in our hearts because it's they're they're doing something pretty cool. They're trying to create a really they have created it's in it's in kind of a closed beta version right now. Uh, a music it's generative music, right? So it's really it's going to be t- it's for psychedelic therapy, obviously. But I think 
I think it could transcend that. And I think it could be music for music therapy's sake. I think eventually they're going to create such an interesting product that you could almost mimic, you know, a, a psychedelic experience, right? With yeah. that, just like you do with, with breath work. So, uh, but it is, it is used right now in conjunction with, with therapy. And if, if you've had ex- experiences before, certainly in the therapeutic context, music is uh, totally key to the experience. Um, it's very hard to do yourself. You can have a bunch of playlists and I'm happy to trade playlists with you, but it gets hard. You, you, things, things happen in the middle of the trip or you, the mood changes. And it's really good to have someone there that is actually doing that for you and, and reading, reading your, your, you know, reading yourself, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, reading what's going on. Hopefully they'll use, you know, kind of biofeedback eventually, but it's very hard. You, you, have, you know, as my guide once said, you know, he's, he's a DJ. He's not a, he's not a playlist, right. He's essentially DJing. He's not, he's not just creating one playlist. So uh, Wayfast is pretty cool. They're, they're doing generative music. Um, eventually it's going to be really kind of tailored towards an individual's emotional needs and, and, and desired therapeutic outcomes. I, I think they'll eventually, you know, maybe a year or two from now, you'll be wearing a little uh, monitor and, and the music will change depending on your kind of, um, you know, your state that point in the trip. So to me, that that's fascinating. I think that it is fascinating. I love that. Especially as a music fanatic like me and and someone that really believes that, that music just is such a powerful tool in so many different ways and to see how it can connect with, with psychedelics in this way. Um, and just like having those healing qualities, I think it's just so impactful. So that was a good example. I like that one. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, I think it's technology. It, it, it is going to be a true tech play because it's not as simple as someone says, well, I'll just do it myself on Spotify. I, I don't think that's going to be, first of all, there's licensing issues. But secondly, I, I think uh, I've, I and others who are you know a bit more experienced with the medicine have really struggled to do this on their own. I have access to you know the same Spotify playlist you do and, and from plenty of people in the space, and it still doesn't quite get there. Uh, so I, yeah, we're very excited to to see what happens there. And of course, you know, the, there's a lot of psychedelic therapy clinics that are going to be opening up. Um, you have, you know, Field Trip and and, and Awaken and, and, you know, many others that are going to have hopefully, you know, one day um, dozens and, and hundreds of potentially of, of clinics. And that's a big, that's a big market to serve because you're going to have a lot of therapist training that's necessary. And part of the therapist training is will be in music. I don't think you can train for music. I think that's very hard. I think that's very personal. So yeah, um, WavePass is great. Another example, I put this under technology, even though it's, it's still drug development slash technology is Bexon Biomedical. I don't know if you know, Greg, Greg Peterson and Je- um, Jeff Becker there. Um, this is a really good example of where you can classify it as mental health or I don't know what, you know, um, just um, it's pain management. So if you, if you know, pain, you know, pain management is to me is like its own world and market that could be outside of mental health. But as we all know, pain management relates also very directly to mental health. So they've created uh, effectively what I would call, you know, like a, like an insulin pump like device for ketamine. So it's, 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 um, I mean, that's what it's inspired by. And the idea is that you can, you know, dose ketamine um, subcutaneously, essentially, so that it it becomes a pain management tool Mm -hmm. somewhere between, you know, what we need somewhere between Advil on the, you know, great, you just had, you know, surgery, and you're coming home and Advil, how, how, how much is that going to do for you versus opioids, which we all know the problems there, you've got a few things in between, you know, you've got like tramadol or, or, uh, you know, of course, there's like gabapentin for neuropathic pain, but there, we just don't have a lot of great options. You talk to doctors, there's not really 
you know, for the most simple, you know, pain management. If you've ever used used ketamine, you know, it's, you know, obviously it was, you know, it's it's used in anesthesiology. Um, it's very, very effective for pain management. We, ha- we do have some issues around control for abuse. I think ketamine, uh, people always ask in psychedelics, aren't these addictive, you know, whatever, they're not used to it. I'll say, no, 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 no. And they'll say, well, except for ketamine, I would be really careful. Like I'm very, you know, to me, that's like, we can't just sit there and say, everyone should have wide access to tons of ketamine at home. That's that's not going to work uh, for a lot of reasons. And I think this solves that problem. But it also it also allows people to go home from the hospital with it and not have to come home with a bunch of pills that can be used by someone else. So is, is it technology? Sure. I mean, yeah, that, that's, you know, hopefully going to be patentable um, technology. It's not technology like, you know, digital therapeutics, but it's a, it's a advancement that I think could make a really big difference. And then, you know, I think it could be used, you know, well beyond ketamine as well. I'm waiting for that um, technology for MDMA that could just feed my system, drip feed me throughout life. I think it'd be great. Now, I will just say this. I am not the one to answer all your medical questions and I'm not, as, I'm not the strong, I'm not the strongest uh, member of my team as it relates to the compounds in biotech, but I will, I will say this. I, I know a bunch of these compounds and people do ask about microdosing. And that is the one thing I always say, they're like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if you could microdose MDMA. I said, well, it would be that you'll need some innovation there. It's not MDMA though that you'd want to microdose. That it's very important that you space out MDMA by at least a month. Again, not giving medical advice. This is just the no, no. That is the protocol. You know, based the protocol, at least a month. I would say no more than you know, hopefully a few times a year. But what's interesting is this is why we get to innovation, right? MDMA is near and dear to my heart, um, and. I, I, there's, it's going to take some innovation. This is a good example. We have an investment in a company, Tactigen, um, ama- amazing, amazing group, amazing scientists, and they are working on you know MDMA kind of inspired uh, uh, compounds. And, and this is where you get to you know, could you have uh, an intactogen that is uh, that is maybe you, maybe you could do maybe in the future you could do it more often or maybe it is something that could be you know is it something that could be taken with SSRIs right now they they don't recommend taking it with SSRIs right there's a lot there are even though we, like I said we like to idealize these compounds and they're you know MDMA is a beautiful um, really beautiful uh, drug and, and treatment but it does have its drawbacks. So I bring that up as an example because, yeah, I, the idea of microdosing MDMA would be great. You just can't do it now for a lot of reasons. So you're funding all these companies and entrepreneurs. Are you also funding research institutions? Do you give money there? Um, do you see something that's what, promising? It's hmm. a good question. I, I would say yes, but not um, not directly, right? We're, we're about, When you get involved in, in biotech and – you are funding, you know, preclinical. You're funding early stage drug development. You're essentially funding research, right? Because that's how that's how a lot of the research is done, right? It takes that, it takes the indication, right? It takes the, you know, we want to go after this indication. This is what we're going to go through, you know, the um, the protocols with the FDA, and we're going to tr- create a drug for this indication. So to me, that is a funding research. It really is. I mean, a lot of these, a lot of these discoveries do happen. Um, as much as I am a, um, I, I, I believe there's uh, more than a few holes in capitalism, uh, m- you know, more than a few, that's an understatement. Right. Uh, you know, it does provide, it does provide some, for some pretty, um, interesting innovation. It, it does the opposite too. You get the, you get the story of the Sacklers out there, but you also, 
um, which is which is horrific. But you also uh, hopefully get the next improved MDMA or the next you know psilocybin that can replace SSRIs or whatever it is. So I, I do think we're we are funding research in a way, but no, our our fund is a um, it is a for profit. Uh, venture uh, there is we do set aside on the general partner side we're making some uh, significant uh, contributions to organizations you know nonprofits outside um, you know on a, on a personal basis to which helps support the for-profit ecosystem as well I think they work together I'm really curious how you ensure that the companies that you partner with, you know, stay ethical in their practice. And I'm not sure if you're familiar mm-hmm. with the North Star Ethics Pledge and just kind of how the industry is coming together to set standards of ethics for the future of psychedelics. And was just curious if you could talk about how you're going to ensure that the companies that you're working with, you know, have that high standards of ethics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is going to be maybe a bit of a... Um maybe it's going to sound like a trite answer. It's, it's where it's really where my heart and my mind and, and my soul are with this answer is I, I really believe it, it, it's more dependent on the, the founders and the soul of, of, of the company and, and the intentions more than you could ever put it in writing. I, I really believe that. Uh, now, maybe that comes from my experience of, 20 years investing in the, in the private space. I'm not in the public markets. I'm not in, you know, very, very, you know, mature companies 20 years down the line um, when they're, you know, 500 people and they've been bought and sold 20 times. Um, you do get into problems with the, you, you know, there, there are um, issues that can develop over time uh, with, with, you know, over time. But I think where we're focused in with the entrepreneurs is to make sure that, we are dealing with founders that are truly focused on the medicine and helping the most amount of people that we can. And, and, and what I'd say is it's a very different space once you're on the inside and, and, you're, and you're in a dialogue, a real dialogue with these founders. Um, there are there are plenty that we take a quick pass. I mean, there, there's no doubt. And, there, and there's plenty that we take a really hard look at and then we take a pass. Um, and there's very few that, that we end up making an investment with. Our funnel is, is pretty big. Um, there's no doubt in the early stage of that funnel, um, we, we cut the cord really quickly when we feel like there's a founder that is, doesn't have their, their heart in the right place because it never, it never ends well for a lot of reasons. First of all, they don't, they, they're, they're, they might not make your investors money anyways, for a lot of reasons. Um, cause there's a greed aspect there and, and you have to look out for all the stakeholders, but really uh, I do believe these medicines have to work and they have to be widely available for these companies to be really successful. Um, I, I, I believe that. And I, so I think in, in a, in, in a certain way, um, I don't know. I don't know much about the North Star Pledge. I, I remember seeing it come up, and I've read snippets of it. I am. I'm going to do a little bit of research. It, we haven't taken a deep dive into it. I, I am pretty wary of the idea of a pledge generally. Uh, maybe it comes from um, seeing a lot of it being used in, in various aspects as kind of virtue signaling here and there. Or, or if you take it to the extreme, you've got the uh, you know in, the, on the, in politics. Um, uh, you have the, you know, sign this pledge. It's like the, the, you know, Grover Norquist, like, you know, won't wait, you know, no taxes. And on the liberal side, you have like, we'll never do anything if it ever does. And I'm sort of like, I'm a very, 
staunch environmentalist, but no, I wouldn't sign that pledge because it could box us in. And then we can't do, you know, carbon, you know, we can't have a carbon tax because we promised this, you know, so I, I, I would be pretty wary of, of any pledge. I think our, our pledge is, is to ourselves and to our uh, stakeholders and, and to the people we're trying to um, hopefully create these medicines for. Uh, but I, I'm not disregarding it. I, I would have to study it. I, 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 I think also it's not with. necessarily a pledge. It's more of a self-governing body for the therapist because some things yeah. have been happening. And mm-hmm. and I think industry, I mean, it'd be interesting to hear. I think industries do try to self-govern before somebody else comes in mm-hmm. bigger history yeah, of what's happened in the past with psychedelics. Yeah. I mean, I think that making sure that these companies, you know, have just a set of standards, but I think that because you've been you're doing no this doubt. for no so doubt. many years prior to, to this, you like probably have a good read on what founders and CEOs, like, because you're not new to being, getting, doing investments, you're just maybe newer to the space, like you said, over the past couple of years. But I think that there takes a special person to be able to meet someone and know and trust that it's more than just their idea. Like, do they have the heart and soul? Are they going to see this through? Do they have the team around them to bring their ideas to life? Um, and really taking that, you know, seriously. And you, it sounds like, you know, you have a team that yeah. you've built of, you know, scientists and partners that are going to vet these folks really thoroughly before it would get there. But we always just like to mention that because you know how very often a lot of companies that are, you know, funding um, psychedelic companies get kind of all grouped together that, you know, that they're all, they're just, you know, funding all these businesses without doing the the good vetting. So we just wanted to make sure we can make that differentiation. We know that you guys are doing good work. It's going to be important. It's going to be more important as we move forward to it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, we, we, we're investors. We're big investors in a company right now. Uh, I said big investors. It's, it's, we have a very large stake, I should say. And uh, in a company you'll, you'll be hearing about more about soon, Reset Pharma. Uh, and it's, it's really, it's a pretty fascinating history. Reset is focused on psilocybin for end of life care or you know what 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 will be they're going for an indication right now which will be which will which will essentially be demoralization um with the fda it's it's there, there's nothing there's no indication right now if you're dying of cancer if you have late stage cancer you're suffering i should say if you have cancer related depression or anxiety right i mean you can call it a lot of different things right now it doesn't have an actual um, indication, right, with the FDA, which is ridiculous. So you, you you can't create a drug for it. That's what they're doing. That's what Reset's doing. They're going to the FDA. They're getting this indication, demoralization. Uh, why am I mentioning that? If you if you listen to um, Dr. Stephen Ross, I say doctor because everyone says Stephen Ross. There's business Stephen Ross. There's a lot of Stephen <laughs> Ross. Um, Stephen Ross, the psychedelic Stephen Ross at NYU. Um, he's the chair of the um, scientific advisory board for Reset. When you hear um, kind of how he, you know, what got him really excited about psilocybin for palliative care. It's a really inspiring story. And, you, and this is the stuff you can't make up in psychedelics, right? I mean, I get, you know, it's a, I always joke around with, um, with, with my wife here when we talk, when we, you know, talk about pitches and we're hearing all these different pitches that, from these businesses, the, the origin story is, is often rings of, it, it often kind of stinks of like crafting it to be like, it's sort of like, I was doing this. And then I woke up one day and I, this problem had to be solved. It's like, usually BS in business by like 80%. In psychedelics, you can, you know, there's, there's a few BS ones, but they're, they're very often true and they're very inspiring. And you, you hear how people, what, how people found this medicine or why they were inspired to do what they do. And, and, you know, I think we have a pretty good, uh, spidey sense, uh, that we're when to run away from people who have kind of reverse engineered into, you know, how psychedelics 
are going to save the world and they've kind of yet to, to have that experience themselves or, or experience it, you know, you know, kind of seen that experience with others. And you hear um, Stephen Ross tell the stories of, you know, how, what happened in these trials. If you've ever read the, the accounts of people who've tried um, high dose psilocybin guided sessions, you know, at, at YIU in, in these trials, uh, it's it's fascinating, right? It's it's absolutely a total game changer. It was actually a big part of actually the end of Michael Pollan's book. I you know kind of interspersed there, and I had forgotten about that in the book until we kind of went back, got involved with Reset. Um, we just we just are in the middle of um, we're leading there uh, around. It's um, going to close soon, and uh, I think it's going to make a huge impact on a lot of people's lives. If you looked at it from the outside, you you might not understand that whole story, but if you kind of take a deep dive and, and you, you know, the people involved, it's, it's people have their hearts in, in the right place. And that makes a big difference to us. Anyways, I could. It does. It talk does. All day long it does. About that stuff. I, I want to make sure that we, we get in there. What is the best way for a company that's looking for funding to approach you? <laughs> is um, those emails and your inbox? I was going to make a joke, like not, not in the street right now. <laughs> say approach me i just have this image of someone you know um tapping on my shoulder walking down the street that'd be fine if you can find me uh we're not hard to find um we're you know our website is uh is is palosanto.vc as in venture capital um not because we love the dot vc i think dot com was taken uh but palosanto.vc and there's a contact us page there welcome to uh, reach out that way. We do have a, a Twitter. It's it's at Palo Santo Fund, uh, and we um, yeah. So anyway, or, or you can just email you can email us uh, straight from our website. Um, I think our contact information is. We try to be very accessible. Um, we have a big funnel. Um, very excited about what we're seeing out there. Um, Twenty five portfolio companies right now. Uh, with about we have about thirty five million dollars under management. We're closing the fund up in in a couple months. Um, it's a, it's a really exciting time. There's, there's no doubt we're, we're seeing things that we, we never expected to, uh, ever be able to see when we first started out. And we're very, very lucky to hopefully be a, a hopefully a big part of, of, of the story here, but there's a, there's a lot of great people that, that are involved in this space and we're, we're just lucky to work with them. I'll tell you, I'm on your site now, and I just have to read through some of these statistics, especially because I saw a little like pre-COVID stats thing below. But let me just read these for our listeners really quick. Um, on palosanto.vc, they have some stats on here about the prevalence of mental health conditions worldwide. 396 million people with anxiety. 385 million with depression. I mean, these are uh, 322 million with addiction and 144 million with PTSD. And these are pre-COVID stats. So we know we're in this complete global pandemic and a mental health crisis at the same time. And so just want to thank you and your team for the work that you're doing to ensure that there are companies that are going to hit this head on and really work on how we could try to, we're failing. People are suffering and and we need to think outside the box to do this. So thank you so much for coming on the show today and telling us more about your company and just opening our, our eyes to, you know, the possibilities of, of VCs like you that are really, you know, leading with heart and, and diving in and finding these companies that deserve the investment. So we really want to thank you. Yeah. Thanks, Gina. Yeah. No, thanks a lot. And yeah, like you said, those are pre- pre-COVID levels. I don't know what, you know, we, I think we wrote it, it would be impossible to, update, almost an impossible page to, to update. I think it'd be a little depressing. Um, if you, if you, if you're not a little depressed and anxious in the last 
year and a half, then you're, you're probably a sociopath or something. So I think we, we're all on the, uh, I think there's, there's, we're all a little bit on the spectrum. I think that's something that psychedelics has taught, really taught, taught me and others is that, you know, mental, and it's a big part of Michael Pollan's book, mental health doesn't have to be seen as a specific pathology all the time. We're, we're, it's along a spectrum. And I think that's where the, the legalization movement is really going to play a big role is, is for, you know, those in between kind of cases and personal growth where you don't need a prescription. You, you, you shouldn't need a prescription. I should say you, you, you want to, you want to become a better person or want to heal. Um, and you shouldn't need to be pathologized all the time. So, um, we're, we're heading in the right direction. I think the education is a huge part of it and uh, we'll get there. I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm excited now that I discovered your podcast. I was trying to listen to Great. as many last night as I was going to be on the show and I was like, oh God, I'm never going to do it in time. There's too much to do. So I'll have to go back and, and listen to a few of your well, guests. Well, we appreciate like really, that. We really appreciate people, you so, so much. And we appreciate all of our listeners for tuning in to another episode of The Vine, a Plant Media Project podcast. Thank you again to Daniel Goldberg for joining us on today's show. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to never miss an episode. For cannabis and psychedelic news, visit us online at plantmediaproject.com. Together, we can end the stigma around plant medicine.